You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Hope Bible Church Niagara. So good to see you and to hear you singing praises unto the Lord. Uh, it is uh, not, not a surprise that for me that I am here today. It is a bit of a surprise that I'm preaching today. We had, in our planning and our scheduling, we had planned for Dr. Rick Reed to be here today from uh, Heritage College and Seminary to, uh, to preach. Rick, uh, Rick is one of my favorite preachers, and uh, I was thrilled that uh, he was scheduled to come, and he had agreed to. However, on uh, Friday night, he called, and uh, because of some nagging health problems, he, he called to let me know. He said, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. Uh, doesn't have the, the physical strength. He's not in a place with his health where he's going to be able to follow through. He felt very badly, was apologetic. I'm like, please, you do not need to apologize. It's, uh, these things are out of our control. And so uh, uh, with uh, Rick not being able to, to preach this morning, uh, guess what? You're stuck with me. So here we are uh, back together, uh, together. And it's a real honor for me, obviously, anytime to preach uh, God's word and a uh, real pleasure, but I, I wish certainly that Rick was able to be here. So we will, we will uh, reschedule and get him to come another time when he is uh, feeling better and when his strength is restored. We trust that it will be. So today, um, we are, we've been in our series here, our Easter series, going through the, the, the final week of the earthly life of Jesus. And um, if you've been tracking with us and thinking through the days of the week, you'll know that, that today actually was planned. I had planned that I would not be preaching today. And so what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going I'm to put that series on hold. We'll come back to it next week. And um, instead, I'm just going to preach just, a, just a, a one-off message here this morning on a topic, on a subject that I think that you will find, most of you will find relevant, um, and probably many of you will find timely. Sorry, I'm just getting a ringing uh, up, up here in my ears, and it's one of those things, it's just the way I'm wired, it just it sends me crazy. You may not be hearing it, I, you are hearing it. Okay, can we just, I think probably just turn my volume down. And I'll just keep talking here for a minute. We'll know what's gone. Then I'll start preaching, okay, for real. But sounds, sounds good. I'm not hearing it now. Are you hearing it? Oh, I am still hearing it. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm going to, I don't know, anybody know a good joke or anything like that? No, it's just, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to go, is there anything I can do? Okay, there's help is on the way, right? It's actually one of my f- favorite Toby Mac songs right now, help is on the way. It's a great song. Anyway, all right, we will get that sorted out. Maybe why don't you turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Judges. Uh, Judges chapter 6, that's a productive use of our time, just while we get this uh, minor issue ironed out. Judges chapter 6. Today, in the message, I want to help you to see that in the Christian life, there is strength in weakness. Strength in uh, weakness. That's the title of my message today, is the strength of our weakness. I don't know if you feel today like you are strong, or if you feel like you are weak. My guess is, though, is that there's lots of us in different ways that do feel today a kind of, of weakness, and maybe you really feel it. And the reality is, though, is that every one of us have weaknesses, don't we? 
And uh, the, the truth is, is that probably if we had it our way, we just wouldn't have any weaknesses. But the fact is, is that we, we've got all kinds of weaknesses. We've got physical weaknesses. We've got mental weaknesses. We've got spiritual weaknesses. I mean, just even thinking your, your spiritual life, your walk with God, isn't it true that, that, that some of us were just grieved by the smallness of our faith, by the, the fear that we sometimes have, by a sense of timidity? We've got all kinds of weaknesses, physical, mental, spiritual. And if we had it our way, we, we wouldn't have any weaknesses at all, or, or at least they wouldn't be seen and noticeable to others. I mean, nobody wants to be known as a weak person, right? When, like when, when they eulogize you, 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 don't, you don't want somebody to stand up at your funeral and say, yeah, she, she was such a weak person. You know, he was, he was so weak. Now, that's not anything that anybody aspires to. The fact is, is that we do all we can to hide our weaknesses or even to deny them or pretend that we don't have them. And if all else fails, we'll excuse ourselves from them or blame others for them. It was my upbringing. It was whoever. But, but the, the funny thing is, though, is that when we read the Bible, despite how we feel about our weaknesses, when we read the Bible, we find that God has a different perspective than we do when it comes to our weaknesses. You see, when you read the Bible, you find that you know, God doesn't see our weaknesses as hindrances to be hidden or encumbrances for us to be embarrassed about. Certainly doesn't see our weaknesses as, any, as anything that should stop us from service. In fact, quite to the contrary. When we read the Bible, we find that our weakness is where God delights to show his power where he shows himself strong. And I think that if you and I can see that, like if we can see that in Scripture, if we can recognize it, if we can believe that, if we can internalize that, then I believe that you and I will find courage to face real challenges we've got in our lives. I think that, that if we can see this and internalize it, believing it, we'll find renewed confidence in the strength of God. I believe that our text today, as we study the scripture, I think what we're going to see can help us in Christ, regardless of how weak you may feel, to realize that you and I in Jesus are a lot stronger than we think. Our scripture text is Judges chapter 6, and if you were wanting to turn there, I'd love for you to join me there. Most of you are there already, but if you're looking for it in the Pew Bible, there's a Bible right in the back of the pew, right in front of you, page 192. Let for you to turn there and to see what it is that I want to show you. Now, now here is here's the situation. When we come to the book of Judges, uh, Judges, it's a very interesting book. Very interesting. It's um, I got a lot of favorite books in the Bible, but I'll just say that Judges is one of my favorite books because it's very strange. Like you you read things in there. If you know the book of Judges well, you you know what I mean. Like you read things in there and you think to yourself, Am I actually reading the Bible? Does this does this talk about the Bible? There are some crazy stuff went on in this period of time that's in Israel that's covered in the book of Judges. It's a fascinating book, but perhaps one of the more memorable people we meet in the book of Judges is a man named Gideon. And that's who we're going to meet here in Judges chapter 6. He's not memorable because he and himself was spectacular, but actually we really remember him and marvel at his story because of how unspectacular he was. I'll tell you what I mean. In these days, Israel was, they were in a real bad way. Their, their enemies, uh, the Amalekites and the Midianites, were making it a habit to come and invade Israel and take all their food and livestock. 
I mean, just like just imagine if uh, if on a regular basis, like an annual basis, some some enemy nation, you know, came in and, and took all the food out of our cupboards and raided all of our grocery stores and and left us with next to nothing. How frustrating that would be, and how how angering that would be, and how humiliating that would be. We would feel pretty pretty weak and pretty small. Well, that's what was happening in these days in, in Israel. And the people were in a bad spot. In fact, Judges 6 verse 6 just summarizes it well. It says, and Israel was brought very low because of Midian. They're poor, they're hungry, they're humiliated. But God in his mercy heard their cry for help and he raised up for them a deliverer, a man named Gideon. Now, Gideon wasn't so sure about this assignment. He wasn't so sure about this deliverer role because when we meet him, he's anything but valiant or brave. In fact, when you meet him in Judges chapter 6, we find that he was disillusioned, discouraged, and really despairing of any hope of anything ever getting any better. In fact, in verses 11 through to 24, we encounter Gideon in a a hidden away place, hiding from the enemy. And um, uh, when the Lord encounters him, he has to be, Gideon has has to be convinced with a miracle that God is actually calling him to be a deliverer because you see Gideon Gideon was weak he was not strong at all but God had called him to lead his people out of such terrible misery. Now, we're going to go ahead to verse 33 and where the the narrative really gets rolling here. Verse 33, notice what happens. Now, all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. Now, they're not going, this is not a weekend camp out with a, like a weenie roast or anything like that. They are getting ready to invade God's people again. So they can see they're, they're moving in the area and they're camping out. And all God's people say, here we go again. They're coming to get us. There's not long now. They're going to rob us. And they're in a bad place. But notice what happens in verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizrites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. So what's Gideon doing here? He's calling out from these different tribes in Israel to come and get ready because we're going to fight back against these cursed Midianites and Amalekites. So, so Gideon here is he's taking action and he's able to assemble what turns out, we'll find out in a little bit here, just to get a little bit ahead of ourselves, he pulls together an army here of 32,000 soldiers. Like that's not bad, right? You'd be feeling pretty good. Except for, except for the Midianites and Amalekites and the people of the East, they had about 135,000 soldiers. So they're outnumbered four to one. In a word, they are looking and they are very weak. Very weak. And you can see, you can imagine, anticipate how Gideon's feeling about this. Being called to lead as peop- the God's people in the battle as a deliverer, he's not so sure about this. Yeah, there was a miraculous sign God showed him, but he gets that old, maybe you have this from time to time. Do you ever have doubt creep in. God has said something. You've read it. You believed it. But then way leads on to way. Challenges come into your life and you begin to question. You begin to doubt. You begin to wonder. Well, that's what happened to Gideon. And so he decides in a sense to kind of put God to the test. 
It's a pretty bold move, but look what happens, verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, if you, will say, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, love the juxtaposition of those phrases, right? If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, like, if you will do actually what you say you will do, see, see what he's saying? This is a trust thing, not feeling very strong. If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's any dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Do you see what he's doing? He's like, I got this fleece of wool. I'm going to lay it out here. And if in the morning, when I come and check it, if it's wet, but all the ground around is dry, then I'll know you're calling me to do this. That's the test. So he lays it out, and look what happens. Verse 38, and it was so. It happened. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Get the picture? Like, it was soaked. Like, it wasn't a situation where it's like, hey, can you come here and feel this? Does this feel damp to you, moist at all? No, it's, it's like when you drop your towel in the lake out of the canoe, and then you pull it up out of the water, like sopping wet. That's the situation. So, so is it confirmed? Pretty clear, right? Pretty clear? Yes, you're called to this. But then... But then Gideon, he gets, he gets a little afraid. I don't, do you ever get a little afraid? Do you ever get a little unsure about God's leading? And he gets thinking about it, and he thinks to himself, I'm such an idiot. You see, I got the test backwards wrong. I, what I should have done is, see, it's possible that I, I could have laid out that fleece, the dew falls, and, and then the, gro the ground dries, but then the fleece might retain the moisture so that, mind you, there wasn't enough I could squeeze out and fill a bowl of water, but it's still possible that it would be soaking wet. I should have reversed it the other way. I, I should have had it so that the ground is wet and the fleece is dry. What are you going to do? Are you going to trust God? Well, he goes back for another round. Look at verse 38, verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Right? He's feeling this. Who should I be more afraid of, the Midianites, the Amalekites, or God? Well, he comes with a, bit, with a bit of faith and a bit of fear. Do not let your anger burn against me. Let me just speak once more. Please, let me test just once more with the fleece. Please. I love this. He's pleading. Careful, humble. He knows, like, yeah, I know you've spoken, but please, God, please. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And so God, and, and it says, verse 40, and God, notice, did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground there was dew. There's a part of me that wonders when Gideon went out in the morning and checked the fleece and saw that it was dry and all the ground is wet. There's part of me that wonders if he was going, rats, no, no. It's confirmed. He's got to go. I want you to notice that Gideon is not a heroic figure. Do you see that? He is not a heroic figure. He is not a pillar of strength. He is not a bastion of confidence. He's timid, fearful, hesitant, overly cautious, overly careful. Like, if you were looking for a deliverer, okay, 
you wouldn't even go, get past the resume stage with Gideon. We're looking for a deliverer for our people. Well, here's this Gideon. He's timid, he's fearful, he's scared, he lacks faith. You and I would not pick him, would we? But God chose him, and God called him to it. You see, God uses weak people to do great things. In fact, that's really at the heart of the main thing I want you to hear today. Like, if, if you fall asleep here for the rest of my message, or if something comes up and you gotta go, I wanna make sure you've got this down. Make sure you get this down, the main point. It's this. In our weakness... God delights to show his power. In our weakness, God delights to show his power. In the places and in the ways that you are weak, that you are feeble, that you feel insufficient, God is pleased. He is pleased. He delights to show himself strong. This is really important because it's vital that you and I, as a follower of Jesus, understand that God does not call any of us to be heroic. He does not call any of us to be self-sufficient or naturally skilled. God, instead, actually calls us to trust him and obey him. I mean, that's not very glamorous, but it is glorious to be in a place where we are called just to trust the Lord, because it's in our weakness that he is glad, he delights, he is happy to show his power. Now, just to take a moment here, I want to clarify what I mean when I talk about weakness. I've used the word lots, just want to make sure that we're on the same page about what it is we're talking about. When we're talking about weakness here, we're talking today about limitations that we have that we can't change. Limitations that we have that we cannot change. When we're talking about weaknesses here today, I'm not talking about sins. I'm not talking about vices. I'm not talking about foolish choices. You, you might say I have a weakness when it comes to lust or to coveting. I'm not talking about sinfulness today. No, I'm talking about, we're talking about things about you, limitations that you have that, that you can't change, that you just have. It may ha be happening around you. It may be something in you or with you that you, you can't make it go away. If you could make it go away, you, you would have. But you can't. We're talking about limitations that we can't change. And, you know, the, it wasn't just Gideon who was, who's, uh, talked about where we see weaknesses. We see many people in Scripture, many, many people in Scripture who are shining examples of weakness where God chose to work in power. One who comes to mind is the Apostle Paul. In fact, Paul talks about some different kinds of weaknesses that he faced. And I wonder if you can identify with some of those things that Paul experienced. Actually, I want you to, to, to keep something here in Judges chapter 6 and go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 912. So keep something there in Judges because we'll come back there in just a few minutes. But go on over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where we're going to see Paul talking about this subject of weakness in a very personal sense, the weaknesses that he experienced in his life. I mean, you look at church history and you say, now here is a man of God who accomplished great things. But Paul would be very quick to point out that the greatness didn't originate with him. In fact, we'll see here as we read in just a moment that Paul had a lot of weakness. Now, the context in 2 Corinthians 12 is God gave Paul an amazing, stunning vision of heaven. It was a glorious vision. Wouldn't you love that? A vision of heaven. And then God told Paul, now what you've seen, 
You can't tell anybody. Got to keep it to yourself. But it was so glorious and so amazing that it was the kind of vision that could really affect a person. And Paul talks about what God did on the other side of that vision in verse 7, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. He says this, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited, a messenger of Satan. That sounds demonic. So God in his providence gave leash to the devil and his demons to inflict Paul with some kind of physical malady. And there's lots of discussion and debate about what that would have been. We don't know for sure, for sure what it was. Many speculated it had to do with his vision, but we don't know. We do know that manifests itself in a very physical way, and its source, it came from the demonic realm, but God had a purpose in it to ordain it for Paul, for his humility. Now, verse 8, Paul says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So he prayed, God, take it away. God, please, take it away. Take it away. Remove it from me. But, verse 9, he said to me, the Lord said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made notice, made perfect in weakness. Now, lots of us don't want to read this verse because we don't like weakness. We want to get rid of the weakness. We want to hide the weakness. It's all, oh, yeah, our preacher's going to talk about God's power being made perfect in weakness. I don't want this verse in my Bible because weakness is weak. But loved ones, notice what the Lord says here. He says that his power is made perfect in weakness. So actually, in God's economy, weakness is strong because of him. Therefore, Paul says, middle of verse 9, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If the power of Jesus is made perfect in my weakness, then I don't want to hide them. And I don't want to pretend I don't have them. Let it be known. Let it be published. Let's write a pamphlet about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Now, notice verse 10. Paul is going to describe different kinds of weaknesses. He talked about one, this thorn in the flesh, this physical suffering he endured. Verse 10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, notice that line, when I am weak, so he's taking all these words, weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, and he's calling them all weaknesses. When I am weak, then I am strong. Paul here identifies five different time, kind, kinds of weaknesses. wonder if you can identify with any of them. When he talks about that word weaknesses there, I think he's referring back to this thorn in the flesh, physical weakness. Physical weakness. Do you suffer, struggle under some kind of physical weakness? Paul did. In his case, it was a, a thorn in the flesh. The devil was, about, was at work there. Now, your thorn in the flesh, your weakness, may not have demonic roots. Perhaps in a season, in a time in your life, it does. The issue that Paul says, he doesn't concern himself 
with where it came from or why it was there, but rather that which I cannot remove myself, I'm content with, Paul says, even when it's physical weakness. Some of us have relational weaknesses. That's what Paul said, had. He had insults. Remember, see that word? Insults. He suffered insults. Relational weaknesses. People assassinating his character. False accusations. I imagine lots of it comes from outside the church. We know from Paul's life, this is shocking, came from inside the church too. Sure, it would never happen here. No one would ever insult anybody here in our local church, would they? We'll never, we'll never experience relational challenges here at our church, will we? We might. We may be. Physical weaknesses, relational weaknesses, circumstantial weaknesses, hardships. See that word hardships in the middle of verse 10? Hardships. This speaks about, this speaks about uh, difficulty and weakness pertaining to my situation, my circumstance, something going on around me. Maybe today you would say that you are going through something you are experiencing. You're in a place that you, not, you did not plan for. You did not want, you did not ask for. This is not how you envision things going for your family, for your finances, for your health. And you are in a situation. It's, it's not because of your folly or your sin. You're in a situation, though, where you're suffering. You, you're feeling weak in your circumstances. Paul also experienced, and maybe you experienced, spiritual weaknesses. He talked about being persecuted. This is vicious, relentless opposition from the enemy and the enemies of Christ, spiritual weakness, persecuted. I think that there is a lot more spiritual weakness than you are probably aware of. The devil and his demons are very, very active. And I think part of the challenge that we have is in the cultural worldview that we live in here in the West, particularly in Canada in 2023, we tend to dismiss these things out of hand. Our, our minds don't often go when we're going in through a dark valley. Our minds often don't go to the demonic realm as being active in those things. But the reality is, is that the devil and his demons are very much at work. And, and I'm not the boogeyman up here trying to, to say to be worried about it. In fact, quite the opposite. Where, where he's at work, you can count on the power of Jesus. They, you're, when you're weak, he is strong. But to recognize that Paul knew what it was to experience spiritual weaknesses and all the effect that that had on him, the oppression that he was facing at the hands of the enemy. There's also emotional weaknesses. That word there, calamity, in verse 10. See that word, that calamities? The calamity speaks of the stress or the tension or the pressure one feels because of their circumstance, weighted down. I wonder if you today are feeling weighted down and feeling real tension. When you look over this list here, physical, relational, circumstantial, spiritual, emotional, let me ask you, which of these weaknesses do you have? Now, you might say, well, I, I got a couple of these. You might say, I got three or four of these. Some of you would say, I got all of these. And you know what? If you do, you're in good company because Paul had all of these weaknesses. What did he do about them? Well, we saw already in verse 8, he asked the Lord to take them away. You can do that. You can ask him to take them away. And you know something? He might. He just might. It, it, don't be surprised if the Lord intervenes in a powerful way and relieves you of this weakness that you're experiencing. He's been known to do crazy kind things for his kids. Crazy kind things. And, and working in ways and in times and seasons that just, that just leave, us, leave us dumbfounded and amazed. So you can ask him. And Paul asked the Lord three times. I don't, think, I don't take that the meaning that prayed like, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I, I think he prayed like fervent prayer on three different occasions. 
pleading with the Lord to take it away. You could do that too, and you, God may indeed do that. But in Paul's case, and perhaps in your case, the Lord's answer will not be no, but instead his answer will be, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, no, I'm not going to take away that weakness. But instead, I'm going to be sure that I give you all of me. Because I'm enough. I'm enough for you. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power, notice, my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is most fully displayed in our weakness. Many of you want to hide your weaknesses or make them go away, but Paul here shows us that where we are weak, that is fertile soil for the powerful working of God in you and through you. So maybe you feel like your weakness in light of the the challenge we we have before us to be on mission. You feel like, I just feel so weak in that. Like I can't speak well. Now if I could speak like you or speak like somebody else, I'd be more, more equipped. I'd be better at this evangelism thing, being on mission thing. Let me ask you seriously. When was the last time that you read in scripture that being a great orator is vital to evangelism? If you find that, you can bring it to me. But I don't see that. In fact, what I do see is I see again and again and again weak people who know a great and awesome God and he works in them and through them right at their point of weakness. You feel like maybe, do you ever feel like this, like you're never the smartest person in the room? Never. Anybody ever feel like that? Never. I'm never the smartest person in the room. Totally here. In fact, sometimes you can get into situations where you just feel like everybody's smarter than me. And I don't even know, how am I going to have any influence for Jesus here in this situation? Like everybody knows more stuff than me. They can talk better than me. They seem faster on their feet than me. And here I am. I just feel like, like dumb, dumb over here. And I, what's God going to do with me? Well, in your weakness, he is what? He's strong. You might be in shock and awe what he would do through you, in through your weakness. He's like, are you weak? You feeling that? You feeling pretty small right now? Here I come. Because I use people like that, God says. Maybe you're going through a setback right now and you just have a hard time keeping on going. Like that alarm went off this morning and it wasn't only that it's an hour earlier because it's a daylight savings thing. And it's not only because you're not a morning person. I love you non-morning people. But it's because you don't know that you can just do another day. I, just, I, don't, I don't have it in me to do what this day requires of me. And I feel like that every day. When you are weak, then he's strong. Then he's strong. You just feel like I don't have the health. I don't have the physicality. I feel so small at home, at work, in my schooling situation. I don't have much. God says, you're exactly who I'm looking for to use you, to work through you in power. Now, we'll get back to Gideon here in just a minute. I haven't forgotten about him. But before we do, I want to underline for you three implications of this truth, three things that you and I need to acknowledge. Number one, we must acknowledge that there is strength in our weakness. There is strength in our weakness. If God delights to show power in weakness, then there's strength in that weakness. What that means is, loved ones, is that you and I cannot be bitter about our limitations. We can't be bitter about our limitations because it's the place, it's the connecting point where God is going to work in power. If that's the case, then we can't be embittered. Now, some of you hear that and you are not thinking nice things right now. 
because it's just not what you want to hear. And you probably feel like, Ross, you have no idea the weaknesses that I'm facing and how unjust it feels. And you're very likely right. I, I probably don't know. And even if you explained it to me, there is very likely that I, I still wouldn't be able to enter in all that you feel and think and have to contend with because of it, whether it's physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, or otherwise. But the reality is, is that what we see in Scripture today is that God says there's strength in that weakness because that's where he delights to show his power. So I can't be embittered about it. Not only that, I should not be ashamed of it or feel like I somehow got to hide it or deny it. To the contrary, Paul's just like, I, I, for, for the sake of Christ, said, I'm content. I'm content with it. We must acknowledge that there's strength in our weakness. Second, we must acknowledge that there's purpose for our weakness. There's purpose, purpose for our weakness. Remember, that's what, that's what Jesus told Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He's got a purpose for it being there. It's not accidentally. He hasn't forgotten about you. Right When you cry out to him about it, it's not like he's like, oh, so, sorry, I, I meant to remove that already. I forgot. He hasn't forgotten about you. He's not convening a meeting saying, hey, we really messed up here. I mean, who did this? That's not how it goes. He knows it's, it's purposeful. He's got a reason for it. In Paul's case, he said God's curriculum for him, his purpose was that he would not be conceited. In other words, it was to help them to be humble to walk in humility, to keep me from becoming conceited, verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. God's got reasons for ordaining our weakness to fulfill his purpose in us and through us. And his purpose is to demonstrate his power. Earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul said this, talking about us being on mission. He says, we've got this treasure that is gospel ministry. We've got this treasure in jars of clay. We're the clay jars. Why, why, is it, why is he entrusted to us, these clay jars, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us? You know what's, the, you know what's a, a, a bad thing about a clay jar? Is they break easy, right? Anybody got any, any fragile stuff at the house? Grandkids come over, like, ah, put, put that down, step away, right? Easy, easy, gentle, gentle, because it's, it's breakable. And that's, you know what? We're breakable too. We're pretty fragile. But God's got a purpose in that. So that through our fragility, through our weakness, his, the power of his, his glory, his power shines through where all the cracks are. It's on purpose. We must acknowledge that our weakness is on purpose. There's purpose for our weakness. Thirdly, we need to acknowledge that weakness is necessary. Weakness is necessary. And that brings us back to Gideon. You know, Gideon's situation, he was not a brave, bold leader, but God was with him. And it persuaded him to trust him. And so Gideon goes out in power, and we notice, and in, in go back to Judges chapter 7, and look and see here what God does. Gideon's got his army. Remember, he starts to get 32,000 in his army. He is outnumbered four to one, but he does have 32,000 soldiers. So that's not nothing. So, okay, ready to go. But then, then, well, then God comes along and does the unexpected. Judges 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many. Just stop right there. And listen to see if you can hear the sound of Gideon weeping. 
That's him. He's crying. The too many. They're too few, Lord. We're outnumbered. No, he says, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Now, do you get this? This is just, it's just craziness. Gideon, he's, they're already outnumbered, and now God says, okay, we gotta, we gotta weed out the military here. We gotta shrink your numbers. So, go to the military. Remember, they're getting ready to go to war. And basically, God says to them, I want you to go, and anybody who's scared can go home. Gideon goes and makes the announcement, and without much surprise, a whole bunch of them leave. 10,000 people remain. He loses a whole bunch of his army. Now, the ratio is 13 and a half to one. It was four to one. Now, it's 13 and a half to one. But remember, weakness is necessary, because that's where God shows his strength. Now, verses 4 to 8, it gets even worse for Gideon. You listen carefully. You hear him crying. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. And Gideon's like, what? There's still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them there for you. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So your poor old Gideon, you got to feel for him, right? Takes them down to the water. Verse 5, so he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. So you get the, you get the picture? So as we're going to go down to the water, and we'll see who is it who scoops up the water in their hands and drinks like my dog, Milo. Okay, and then whoever just gets right down and drinks of the water. We're going to divide the army up on, on this, on what they do here. Just to step back for a minute, there's, there's lots of writing and thought has gone into the, the purpose behind this test. Like, is there a kind of character quality that's evident in a person who drinks water out of their hands like this or puts their face in the lake to drink? Here's, I could be wrong. In fact, I very likely am, but here is my take on it. I don't think we should think too hard about it. The purpose is to shrink the numbers. And God is going to shrink the numbers drastically here, much to Gideon's uh, much to his dismay. Verse 6, and the one, and the number, sorry, of those who lapped, putting their hands in their mouths was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, oh, Gideon, I'm sorry. With the 300 men who, men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites in your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. Can you imagine Gideon? watching there, 9,700 soldiers walking on home. And he's left with 300 men. Feeling very what? Very weak. Let's face it, he's going to war against 132,000 soldiers. He is weak. But what's the principle? It's our weakness that God delights to show his power. Well, what happens is God does show his power. Have a look at verse 16, what happens there. It says, and he, talking about Gideon, divided the 300 men into, into three companies. The Lord instructed him, told him what to do. He's carrying out the instructions. Divides them into three companies. And notice, put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. Just for a second here, pause. They're going to war. What do you notice is missing so far? Weapons. Weapons. They're going to war with vases and candles. 
and some musical instruments. Okay, this is, again, you just imagine Gideon. I think he had to have cried through this whole thing. Just cry and cry. Verse 17, and he said to them, look at me and do likewise. <laughs> Probably wasn't crying at this point. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, anybody military experts in the room? What do you think of the strategy so far? We're going to surround the camp with musical instruments, candles, and vases, and shout, giving away our position. Okay, let's go die with Gideon. Let's see what happens. Verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, so it's nighttime, when they had just set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. A lot of noise. A lot of noise. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars, more noise. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, notice the Lord the Lord set every man's sword, this is amongst the enemy, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the armies. So you see what happens? They surround the camp, they make a lot of noise, they smash the jar, they shout for the Lord and for Gideon, and all of a sudden it's panic and pandemonium in the enemy's camp, and they start hacking away at each other, and, and they run and they flee, and they are defeated defeated without Israel ever doing anything other than standing there playing songs and shouting and smashing jars and holding candles. It's incredible. What's the point of all this? Weakness is necessary. Dear brother, dear sister, do you understand that? For effective, fruitful ministry, God forbid that we ever think ourselves sufficient but rather through prayerful dependence and humble faith, believing in a God who delights to use weak people, that we would trust him to do great things and that you would trust him to do great things in your life. Do you understand, loved one, the power, the strength available to the man, to the woman who loves Jesus? Weak as you are, that's the point. It's like, that's where I love to work. If you would hide your weaknesses, if you would try to pretend that you don't have them, you are effectively saying to the Lord, I don't need your power. I'll do this on my own. I wonder if for some of us, if that's why there's sometimes so little fruit. It's because we're not willing to admit our weakness and welcome the one who has all power. Since it's our weakness that God delights, it's in our weakness that God delights to show his power, we must acknowledge that weakness is necessary. And actually, when you think about what it even means to be a Christian in the gospel message, it's the same consistent theme through the whole story. God shows his power in our weakness when he saves us. There isn't any one of us here who can make ourselves fit for heaven, only Jesus, through his death and resurrection. In fact, the starting point of our relationship with God is when we admit 
our own brokenness and fallenness and inability to save ourselves. That's where it begins with confession. And then we encounter this God who salvation belongs to him emphatically. He's the saving one. He's the one who can enter in and to take us from death to life. And then not only that, but to use us. The reality is we see this re- the, the power of God. We're in our weakness in salvation. We see it in our sanctification, how he works to change us. We see it in our ministry. The work that we're called to do, to take the gospel to the nations, to be on mission fulfilling the great commission, the spirit of the great commandment, that's beyond us to do. We are not sufficient to do that. We cannot do that on our own, but he is able. That's at the heart of this message here today for us to see that, to acknowledge that weakness is necessary. You ever heard of a man named Nick Vujicic? Nick Vujicic? If that name sounds familiar, it may come clear who I'm talking about. He's a 40-year-old Australian evangelist and motivational speaker who has spoken to millions of people in about 55 different countries all over the world, touching countless lives. Nick was born without any, without any arms or legs. His ministry is called Life Without Limbs. A bold evangelist who has, listen to me, he has no arms and no legs. This was, uh, happened to Nick without any real med- medical explanation. It came as a complete surprise and a shock to his family when he was born this way. And obviously it saddled with him with significant challenges in life. But this is what he says. Listen to these words. Faced with countless challenges and obstacles, God has given me the strength to surmount what others might call impossible. He says, my greatest joy in this life is to introduce Jesus to those I meet and tell them of his great desire to get to know them personally by allowing him to become their Lord and Savior. That's what life without limbs is all about. Now, let me just ask you this. How much you want to bet that when a man with no arms and no legs, legs enters a room and starts talking about Jesus, people strangely listen? When he walks in the room without any arms or legs and talks about the joy of knowing Jesus and the satisfaction that's found in him, How much you want to bet there's ears tuned in? Why is that? Because God delights to show his power in weakness. This is what Nick says. Listen to this. You'll love this. He says, if God can ask a man with no arms and legs to be his hands and feet, then he will certainly use any willing heart. You see? You got it? The strength of our weakness is that that is where God delights to show his power. Your weakness is the connecting point of his power. I want to ask you, loved ones, is there weakness in your life that you are or have been resenting? Physical, relational, emotional, circumstantial, spiritual. Is it possible? Is it possible that God, in his wisdom, knowing his sufficiency and his grace, is calling you today to see that in him you really actually are strong because of him, strong to serve him, strong to make your life count for him, strong to walk with him and to show him to others? I want to ask you as I close today a very personal question that probably only you can answer, you and the Lord. It's this, what is your weakness? Or, what are your weaknesses? Name it. Name them. What are they? Just like Paul did. Paul, he spelled them out. Here's here's some of my weaknesses. 
What are your weaknesses? What are the limitations that you have that you can't change that makes you feel weak, makes you look weak, reveals that you are weak? What are your weaknesses? Name them. And then with those weaknesses named, I'm going to ask you three questions, and I'm done. Number one, will you accept your weaknesses? Will you accept them? Not saying you can't or shouldn't pray that they be removed. We've seen in Scripture that's a perfectly biblical, godly, wise thing to do. But if the Lord's answer to you is, my grace is sufficient for you, will you accept that? Or do you, or do you have to have this weakness resolved? Are you willing to accept God's purposeful, difficult plan? For you. Will you accept your weakness? Number two, having accepted your weakness, will you get on with living for Jesus? Will you get on with living for Jesus with your weakness? Just because you're struggling doesn't mean you're failing. We can anticipate that the task before us will not be easy. And we should not at all be surprised that we don't feel like we are enough because the fact is we're not. But we have a God who delights to show his power in weakness. So will you get on with living your life for Jesus, with your weakness? Finally, will you choose today to say by faith, I am who I am. I've been through what I've been through. I have what I have. And God is my God. Will you say that today by faith? I wonder if the Lord in his kindness is bringing you right now to that place where you can before him say, God, I am who I am. I've been through what I've been through. I have what I have. I don't have what I don't have. But you are my God. And your grace is sufficient for me. Will you join me in prayer right now?